This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. Today, you'll be listening to the finale of Season 3, which features Angel Oak Mortgage Services Executive Vice President of Production, Tom Hutchins, and Angel Oak's Capital's Head of Client Solutions, Manish Flesha. In this episode, the duo help us better understand what is happening in the non-QM landscape, as well as what led to the quick evaporation of the product in March 2020. Additionally, the pair discussed the two newly announced proposed rulemaking notices from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau on the QM patch and what those changes could mean for the housing industry at large. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. A quick message from our sponsor, ArchMI. Lock in ArchMI's most competitive risk-based pricing for your loan with a 90-day promise. Your RateStar quote is automatically guaranteed for 90 days, protecting your pipeline and freeing you to focus on closing the loan. Limitations may apply. Learn more at archmi.com slash 90-day promise. Thanks for listening. And here's the season finale of the Housing News Podcast. Hey, Housing News listeners, this is Clayton Collins, President and CEO at Housing Wire. We're back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. This is actually going to be the season finale of, of season three of the Housing News Podcast. Can't believe we've already been through three seasons of this show. And there's just so much happening in the mortgage industry right now. So we're breaking a rule that we usually have of not having repeat guests because there's such an important topic going on right now in the non-QM space. We wanted to bring back Tom Hutchins of Angel Oak, as well as Manish Flecha, the head of client solutions at Angel Oak Capital, to help us better understand what is happening in the non-QM landscape. Tom, Manish, welcome to Housing News. Thanks, Clayton. Happy to be back on. I guess if this, if this is the season finale, we need to finish with a cliffhanger, don't we? I'm, think, I'm thinking through that right now. Bring the bring out the big guns, Tom. So, so Tom, we had you on the show um, toward the end of season one. So it's it's been a little while, and I know a lot has changed in the market, and we've gained some new listeners to the show. So, would you mind giving us a quick introduction to yourself and your role at Angel Oak? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Clayton. So, uh, as you said, uh, my name is Tom Hutchins. I'm the EVP of production at Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, and Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, we. Uh, have been in the non-QM, non-agency space since 2013. Uh, we actually started originating uh, these non-agency loans before the QM slash non-QM designation came out. So we were a, a very early adopter, saw saw a really a, a dislocation of the market post-financial crisis, where you know right after right after the 2008 timeframe. As, as, as most people know that are in the industry, the only loans available were, were agency and government and, and you know, a little bit of prime jumbo, but not even much of that. So we felt like there was an opportunity to serve borrowers that did not fit those tight agency guidelines. And so we spent, and you know, we've been at this now for seven years, and it's really just been an education, um, awareness and education campaign. 
uh, we, we grew our business, uh, you know, very rapidly. We really kind of got, got it into gear around 2014, 2015, then uh, issued securitizations, which Manish can talk more about. Uh, we had grown, uh, we, we exceeded over 3 billion in non-QM originations in 2019. We were expecting to grow that in 2020 to some four or five, you know, five billion plus. Uh, and then, then came March uh, 2020. <laughs> and that is the topic we will dig into. So Manish, welcome as well. I know you represent a different part of the Angel Oak business where you lead client, uh, client solutions for Angel Oak Capital. Can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and your role uh, at Angel Oak? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Clayton. So, um, you know, I work on the uh, Angel Oak Capital side. Um, my, my title is Head of Client Solutions. Uh, but here at Angel Oak, we, we sort of have an integrated model working hand in hand with Tom and his team. Um, and actually the, the end investors uh, in non-QM, the, uh, the, the broad range of investors, the pensions, the banks, the insurance companies, the institutional clients that are actually investing in the loans, uh, namely the bonds that are that are securitized and issued out into the marketplace, that are backed by by non-QM collateral. So, so my role really on the capital side is is working with that investor base, educating them about what is non-QM, you know, what what does our model look like relative to others, um, and uh, and and just you know sort of educating and generating interest. Uh, in the end investor base for uh, for non-QM. Excellent. So I want to jump right into the topics. And and Tom, if we rewind, and you, and you brought up the, the topic of March 2020. So I, I remember the Friday night, I think it was March 20th, our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler, and I were scrambling to, to get an article out about what's happening in non-QM. And um, come Monday morning, uh, it seemed like the market had completely dried up. We had Nations Direct was out, Orion was out, JMAX out, Parkside out, Mega Capital's out, Citadel's out, and Angel Oak all pulling out of, of non-QM um, in, a, in a very short time period. So what was the market condition that led to that quick evaporation of the non-QM product in March 2020? Well, you know, that's, that's something that we get asked on a regular basis, Clayton. And, um, you know, a lot of us have been in the business for a number of years and can remember the the, the financial crisis of the 2007-2008 range. And, you know, what I like to describe to people is that, that that collapse was different in a couple really significant ways. One was that that took a while. Like that, that was a slow, um, that, that was a slow occurrence versus this in March, like you said, it just kind of came upon us. And secondly, the financial crisis was really caused by credit issues, meaning bad loans made to a lot of people. So that was a, and then, you know, you could go on and on about all the other problems in, in the whole manufacturing process. But this really came out of nowhere. Um, and, and the reason that it happened is that, so, so we, I'll just give you back, back, you know, we, we were planning on how to, how to keep managing or running our business remotely. And I think everybody in the, in the U.S. was doing the same thing. But then as soon as states started shutting down businesses, that's, that's when it really got challenging for non-QM because we don't, our loans do not have a government guarantee from a performance standpoint. And it is 
so our our job is to determine a borrower's ability to repay but once states shut businesses down we have we don't have that ability we can't if if you know Cal if Texas comes in and just shuts every business down how do we determine which borrowers in Texas still have an ability to repay these loans that we're doing that are ultimately owned by the investors that Manish is talking about. So as soon as that happened, it, it not only affected us, like you were naming all the, you know, anyone in the non-agency space had to put a pause on things because you can't, you just can't determine someone's ability to repay. And it was totally, you know, it was out of our hands, but the, the biggest difference to me was the speed at which it happened. Uh, you know, I, re, I remember vividly on a Tuesday night in mid-March, everything was good. We were talking about doing some business with, the, the the very next day and by eight o'clock the next morning the market was it was done it, it was over um, and and of course that Tuesday was when many states put the put the clamps down on the business community so Manish from a capital markets perspective it feels like you look back uh, 12 13 years to, to 2008 um, things started going sour once credit quality started declining and th in this scenario um, investors kind of got ahead of the problem and, and stopped lending before loans um, became problematic in, in many scenarios. Uh, it, like, what did you see? What were you hearing on the investor side? When, when did people kind of start um, showing some caution in their appetite for the non-agency product? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with Tom. It, it sort of happened uh, very quickly, very abruptly, you know, uh, and, and it, it was really more sort of a, a flight to cash Mm -hmm. uh, more than anything. And, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the data, like there's, there was a week there, a uh, week ending, you know, March 21st, you had 26 billion uh, of outflows from, uh, from bond funds. And at the end of the day, uh, the folks that are buying our securitizations are bond buyers. They, they invest for, you know, their, their pension plans, for their mutual funds and so forth. And so they were getting um, redemptions on their end where they had to raise cash as quickly as possible. And um, really, I mean, it, it was something, you know, sort of outside of just this sector, outside of non-QM. It was just more broader the, the economy where everyone was sort of going to cash as quickly as they could. Uh, and at the same time, you know, as Tom was mentioning, you were hearing, you know, news of various states and various businesses just completely shutting down, just having a complete economic shutdown. You know, I think the, the investor base was kind of reacting to that. Um, and, and that put sort of a, just, uh, you know, just sort of shut the, shut the sector down for, for a period of time. Um, you know, I, I will say that, um, you know, as Tom mentioned, you know, we, we were very early in this sector. We've spent a tremendous amount of time educating people about non-QM and, you know, the investor base was sort of, you know, they understood this is not sort of a 2008, these are good quality, good credit loans. Um, uh, and, and it was something just broader than, than, than the sector itself. Yeah, so you talk about some of the specific loans. I know that that self-employed borrowers are a, are a big part of the of the non-QM borrower base. Um, were these borrowers for for refi or purchase kind of left in the dust? Was there was there anybody out that could help out that out there that could help them in in April, or were the borrowers that traditionally would have been the core Angelo client kind of left for to to wait until the market came back? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and and Tom can certainly, you know, um, add to this, but but I think really, you know, those borrowers just lacked mortgage credit availability there for a period of time, and it's not, um, you know, again, it 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 wasn't just um, necessarily. Uh, that segment in particular, I, I think just broadly, people were just sort of grappling with the idea that, you know, they uh, they were sort of shut down from an economic perspective, couldn't go about their their day to day. So uh, if you think about non-QM, you know, that, that self-employed segment is a huge part of what we do. Um, and, and that segment, you know, effectively lacked credit uh, there for a period of time. Um, and, and now we're starting to see that um, sort of change. Um, I don't know, Tom, if, if you want to add to that. Oh, uh, no, you're, yeah, that, that's exactly right. It, it was, um, everyone could see that, 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 that these small business owners were probably the most heavily affected. You mm-hmm. know, some of the larger, the big corporations, they have the wherewithal to survive a, a shutdown uh, and the capital to survive that but not necessarily the small business owners. And that, that is the key, you know, the key driver. So, so yes, during April, credit availability to those borrowers was almost like 2010. You know, it just, it just wasn't there. Wasn't there. Well, so, I mean, it, uh, fortunately, it seems like it, it, it started coming back. So it, in May, we started hearing that non-QM lending was inching back in the market and a handful of companies, including Angel Oak, were, uh, starting to come back into the game what what was the the economic condition or um or or product uh iteration that allowed you to come back into the non-agency space and Nish, maybe you can start us off there yeah sure and and so clayton you know i think the uh, a large part of that really was kind of this um reopening of the capital markets and and the idea that okay you know, that there wasn't, there was sort of this, um, you know, uh, liquidity backstop put in by the Fed and by the government, you know, really in, in all sectors of the economy, but but you sort of really felt it in the capital markets where the Fed just pumped a tremendous amount of liquidity uh, into, uh, into the bond market through some of their government programs, health and so forth. And, and it gave folks confidence to get back in and, and invest. And I mean, you know, you, you had the Fed lower interest rates quite dramatically go out and, and embark on buying uh, securities and putting liquidity back in the system and sort of at unprecedented levels. And at the same time, you have investors that are investing in non-QM say to themselves, look, I still need to get to my required return on my pension. Uh, I still need to get to my required return uh, for my uh, for my insurance obligations and so forth, so you had those sorts of events take place pretty quickly, actually, um, and create uh, this demand again for for non QM and uh, you know so all those sort of events happened very quickly. Folks realizing that they were going to be in a low yield environment for an extended period of time, yields compressing due to the Fed support. Uh, and then, um, you know, just some of the hard work that we've done over the last few years in educating people about non-QM has, has created that demand and, and brought it back uh, to where it is today and gave us a lot of confidence to go out and, uh, um, and, uh, and originate, look to securitize and, and so forth. 
So with the Fed buying agency, Fed now buying corporate bonds, um, muni yields look terrible. Uh, Non-QM kind of became, a, became a, a haven for yield for some of those institutionals. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think uh, institutions sort of look at things from a relative value perspective and perhaps maybe non-QM wasn't a direct beneficiary of some of the uh, programs that, that the Fed and uh, the government really put in place, but it's all a relative value game. So if you have, you know, credit card securitizations come crashing in, well, that's going to have a knock-on effect on on non-QM. But I think e- even even more so than just the levels and relative value was the idea that um, people are starved for yield. They need product. They they need the ability to make their uh, liabilities work. And uh, and non-QM is a sector where folks have come to realize, look, that these are good performing loans. There's good credit behind them. They've been underwritten properly and appropriately, and so forth. So from an um, economic metric perspective, is the, is the non-QM investor community watching weekly unemployment like a hawk? Or like, what are the, what are the metrics that like matter most uh, to, to your investors? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think they're, obvi- they're definitely watching unemployment. They're, they're watching the same things that, you know, most folks would in terms of reopening and, and economic reopening. And again, mm-hmm. you know, the, the non-QM borrower has traditionally been a self-employed small business owner um, where, um, where they, you know, they, uh, they're, they're arguably more susceptible to sort of a, an in- income disruption than some of the big cor- corporations, for example, right? Like the Tom's earlier point. So they're watching all those things. Um, they're also watching for for uh, origination to sort of, you know, pick back up because in in a sense, you know, some of these big buyers came into this year and said, look, I'm setting aside, you know, uh, a certain portion of my capital budget to be investing in non-QM over the course of 2020. Well, guess what? They're not going to get there. And so um, there's a there's allocations that need to be met, and they're sort of watching and keeping an eye on new origination and new issuance in the sector to help them get to those targets. Thank you for listening, and here's a brief word from our sponsor. During these challenging times, Quicken Loans Mortgage Services is committed to the health and well-being of its partners, its partners' clients, and its communities. Even though things are changing rapidly, you can count on the QLMS commitment to speed, certainty, and care. QLMS is now approving new partners within 24 hours. That means you can be up and running quickly and be able to help your clients. Visit QLMortgageServices.com to get started. Now, more than ever, QLMS is stronger together. So Tom, when we think about where we are in non-QM product today, as the market as the market came back in May and, and now we're in June, what's different about the non-QM product of post-COVID or in COVID versus kind of the the pre-COVID days? Are we are we looking at notable overlays, pricing differences? Like what's different in the market um, from a product perspective? Yeah, that that that's a great great question. I mean, I would tell you we 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 uh, went out of the pause on April 28th, so so we came back out actually with with a, a few products, a couple products. That bank statement loan that we talked about or that everyone's fully aware of. And we also put out uh, an investor loan. We, we call it our investor cash flow, but it's a DSCR, mm-hmm. borrowers qualified based on uh, the cash flow of the actual uh, underlying collateral. So um, those, those are really the two products that, that we're out there with. 
I would I would just say you know the credit has gotten tighter, and the loan the loan to values have gotten lower. You know, it just we we've had to clean it up. But but the great news is that you know we built this for so many years. The return of where we were pre-COVID is going to be a lot more rapid than it was getting to where we were in February. You know, that took yeah. six and a half years. So as the economy and all the things that you and Manish were just speaking of, as that continues to improve, we're going to be able to get really close back to where we were uh, right before COVID. But also the quality of the loans that we're seeing today from the bank statement borrowers, I mean, think about it. The bank statement borrowers who really made it through the shutdown of the economy and their businesses are still strong, how good is that credit? And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what we're so excited about. You mentioned they were locked out and completely shut down for almost the entire month of April. Very true. But that doesn't mean the borrowers went away. Certainly, everyone was dealing with a lot of different things, personally, financially, business-wise. Uh, but those borrowers are still out there. And, and those that come out on the other side of this uh, pandemic are going to be in a really great position to, to you know, perform and, and, and obtain financing. Yeah, like similar to what we're seeing in conventional right now, that a little bit of that pent up demand coming back for a really strong um, origination launch. Yes. Uh, what if, so as we, so Manish talked about small business owners and self-employed borrowers a little bit. Um, one of the big topics over the last several months has been the CARES Act and the PPP program. From an underwriting perspective, are you, are you guys looking at, thinking about the, the small businesses that took PPP? Is that, is that taken into consideration in underwriting as a, as a positive or a negative risk factor or, or is that kind of outside the lane? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we look at all of that. Uh -huh. You know, Clayton, there's not one piece that we don't consider. You know, some, some people took it and it, you know, it helped them get through the, the truth, the shutdown period. And some, some people didn't. So, so yes, we, we are considering everything that's happened in their business uh, since, since March. Okay. All right. Awesome. So the, the other thing, if I could just add like product wise, one, one product that hasn't come back yet, but if you think about it, the, the demand is, is we also originate in non-QM a lot of um, deserving borrowers who might have a couple credit blips on their, their, his, their history. But we're thinking as we come through this, there's probably going to be a lot of people that had, you know, they had a bad couple months because their income just got shut down and they didn't have access to PPE and things like that. So uh, we think there's going to be a lot of demand for the full doc borrower but they're not going to qualify for agency because of some, maybe some credit, credit hits they took during, during the crisis. So as we talk about, um, as we talk about agency, one of the, the big stories that, that came through our newsroom this week is that the CFPB announced on a Monday, two notices of proposed rulemaking surrounding the QM patch. And one of those rulemakings would remove the DTI requirement from, from qualified mortgages. And I know this is a this is a story that's been developing since January, since the CFPB directors sent a letter to to Congress, um, kind of talking about the CFPB's desire to move away from DTI as an underwriting criteria for the for the QM product. But this has to have an impact on the on the non agency world as the as the definition of what agency is is evolves and is redefined. 
how is Angel Oak thinking about, and how is the non-QM think, market thinking about this proposed or 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 pending um, move away from from DTI? Manish, do you want to talk about that from an investor perspective? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think look, I, I think the the uh, the extension there, you know, pushing it out to April twenty twenty one at the earliest, you know, I think just generally sort of everybody sort of think that's a positive development, you know, ensuring that, you know, in this environment that there's no sort of, you know, lack of, of credit availability and, and things are sort of, you know, um, sort of, you know, ensure that things will function appropriately given all the uncertainties from an economic perspective and, and so forth. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we've been sort of thinking about, the the QM patch and the removal of the patch is this tremendous market opportunity for us from a non-agency perspective to step in and originate loans that perhaps maybe once would sort of fall in the in the agency box, but now would would have to come out. And so, you know, that's sort of the general trend that has us excited, and we continue to believe that it'll it'll happen in due course over a period of time. You know, the moving from the DTI thre- threshold. To a to a pricing based threshold, which is what is is currently being being contemplated, you know that sort of remains to be seen. What the knock on effects are, you know, it, it's something that um, was uh, was just very recently announced, as as you mentioned, Clayton. You know, two hundred basis points. You know, our loans typically fall out of that in in any event, right? So. Um, so the, the question is how much more will sort of come to us? I I think that remains to be seen and it's something we'll be thinking about, but from an overall perspective, having that date being pushed out kind of removes that uncertainty. Uh, we sort of would obviously see that as a net positive. So so you have some, some time to, to get it figured out. Um, I mean, it, at, at face value, it feels like removal of the DTI, which is today the most common reason for a conventional denial would increase the credit box for for agency but the other components that pricing component might actually kind of equal the market out where you're not in that different of a market size scenario and non-qm well one, one thing that i would say clayton is that it might dti might come out of the qm non-qm designation but it's not going to come out of the determination of a borrower's ability to repay whether agency or non-agency so you know, I don't think that this just means the, the GSEs are going to throw DTI out and they're just going to, hey, DTI doesn't matter because your, your APR is 3.5%, so you get a loan. I, I don't really, th- I think it's really just that, that designation is what's going to be, you know, that's what's going to change. Uh, and then same for us on the non-QM side. It has always been important. And, you know, the relationship that we have with Manish and Angelo Capital and our end investors is that we're on the non-QM side, we're going to always produce quality loans. That, that is kind of the key ingredient for this whole thing working. So DTI will always be a major consideration for us when it comes to making or not making a loan for someone. So I, that, that's, you know, how it's determined at the, you know, kind of the patch level, if you will, is one thing, but I have not seen it being a huge impact on the actual credit decisioning, whether it's agency or, or non-agency. Okay. Well, it, it seems like that Angelo has remained uh, pr- pretty bullish on the future 
size of the market and opportunity. I know a few weeks ago, um, you were vocal about preparing for an increase in non-QM borrowers after the pandemic and uh, an Angelo 2.0 strategy. Um, and that is about all I know about Angelo 2.0. So tell me, what is Angelo 2.0 and what are you excited about when it comes to the increase in non-QM um, in the coming months or years? Well, well, I think a couple of things. One is that the, the, the need for non-agency, whether we call it non-QM, you know, the, the need for non-agency it really never goes away. You know, it, the GSEs were not, their charter is not to give every single borrower in the United States a loan. So they're always going to have guidelines. So, so, you know, whatever the percentage of, of those that fall out that are still, you know, still have that ability to repay a loan, it's always going to be there. It's going to be 5% of the market, 10%, 50, you know, we, we don't know that level. Um, but certainly we're excited about it because really the foundation that we've built over the last six plus years. We've, we've gone through the education. People know what non-QM is and non-QM 2.0, we'll have to talk about maybe some of the changes and the differences, but we don't see that lasting a, you know, a very long time because we had, a, we had a vertically integrated from origination to securitization. We had that platform built successfully and it was, you know, it was really clicking on all cylinders and, and growing tremendously. So we just think the period of us getting back to that point is just going to be, you know, a lot shorter than it certainly was when we started from scratch. So it sounds like the investor demand comes back pretty quickly. Tom, on, in your interactions with your origination channels, are you seeing the originator's ability to kind of turn back on their, uh, their non-QM pipelines and, and bring that demand back into the market at a relatively similar speed as the investor demand is coming back? Well, uh, you know, there have been a lot of originators that have, have made non-QM a part of their everyday offering. You know, they're, they're, you know, they've built even maybe a name, a reputation in their market as Hey, I'm that self-employed expert, or I'm that, you know, the, the person that falls out, you call me. And they, so they've built, built their business around that, and we're having a lot of success. The only thing that's changed really, though, is that we do have record refinance agency activity. So almost every originator is busting at the seams, right? So they don't necessarily have to originate non-QM today in order to close loans in, in June 2020. but they, they already understand the importance of having more than just Fannie and Freddie in their back pocket. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of, so, so the answer is yes, we see it, but everyone is really busy in the mortgage business right now. So another huge topic that we've been watching closely at Housing Wire, and we keep hearing from our readers that more information on is, uh, is Jumbo. And it seems like in a very similar way that investor demand Kind of weaned away from non-QM for a period. That same investor demand um, entirely backed away from the from the jumbo market. Um, Manish, in in your purview in capital markets, are, do you have any exposure to to investor interest in the jumbo market? Um, are there any similarities to the the risk profile that investors perceive in with non-QM? Yeah, I mean, look, we 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 don't have, I, from an investor perspective, we don't have a tremendous amount of exposure there to, to Jumbo. I, I will say that, you know, uh, so, some of the early things I said do hold true in terms of, you know, folks coming back into the market looking for yield. But I would say this, like, you know, at least as it pertains to non-QM, just to build on one of Tom's earlier points is, you know, one of the questions we always used to get and, and sort of the, the issue really was, 
you know, having non-QM go through some sort of stress test. And, um, you know, having gone through a period like this, um, you know, you can say non-QM has had a stress test. And, and frankly, the mortgage market 2.0 has gone through a stress test. And so, you know, as you think about coming through the other side of this, whether it's jumbo, whether it's non-QM, you know, investors can look and say, okay, you know, my bonds did perform, my bonds did, you know, not trip triggers and not shut off cash flows. Um, you know, that's very critical and that continues to build on the demand that we've all, we've worked so hard to create with the with the asset class in non-QM and I'm sure it's applicable in prime jumbo as well, which is having the idea that, okay, you've gone through a stress test, you've seen what the performances look like, and this is, you know, um, something that you build in into your thought process in terms of investing in the sector going forward. Excellent. Manish, Tom, thank you both so much for your time today. Really appreciate sharing your expertise and knowledge and keeping us updated on everything that's happening in the non-QM world. Housing News listeners, that's a wrap for season three. We'll see you next time. Well, listeners, that's a wrap for season three. And just because the season's done doesn't mean you can't re-listen. If you do, please don't forget to give us feedback and write us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWare's latest podcast, The Daily Download, which is a daily wrap of HousingWare's hottest stories, now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. Until next season, we'll see you then.